Off the coast of Southern California, the shadows of eight small landmasses are etched into the creamy sky. Like a series of alien vertebrae, the Channel Islands pierce the chapped skin of the sea, forming the backbone of an ecosystem teeming with over 2,000 species. 145 of these species are not found anywhere else on Earth. These islands were born of the dynamic interplay between plate tectonics, volcanoes, and the metamorphoses of ice caps and sea levels. Millions of years ago, a single island, dubbed Santa Rosa, was situated near the edge of North America. In the midst of the ice ages, sea levels plummeted and polar ice caps bloomed. When the ocean levels rose once again, it formed four of the islands visible today, San Miguel, Santa Rosa, Santa Cruz, and Anacapa. The Channel Islands are wedged between the California coast and the deep sea in a section called the Continental Shelf. The topography of the ocean floor in this region is rich with contrast. It is home to waters both shallow and deep, land that is rippled and land that is level, habitats billowing with sunlight and undersea ecosystems swathed in pulpy darkness. Within the canyons, plateaus, seamounts, steep slopes, and basins, including one that plunges deeper than the Grand Canyon, a plethora of species have settled into this precariously balanced ecosystem. This splendid biodiversity can also be attributed to the interplay between starkly contrasting factors. The land and the sea, the atmosphere and the hydrosphere, the warm and the cool, the north and the south all cooperate to sculpt this spectacular region made diverse by the meshing of opposites. Ocean currents are a major contributor to the island's singular ecosystem. Cool ocean currents can be found snaking south along the North Pacific coast. These currents coalesce with a hot current traveling upwards from the tropics. As the currents blend, rich nutrients swirl up from the sea floor, stirring aquatic creatures and organic materials packed with nourishment into a jumbled stew of ocean life. Thanks to the contrasting currents from around the world, this ecosystem thrums with millions of creatures, including 28 species of dolphins and whales, northern fur seals, the flamboyant apricot-colored Garibaldi, which is California's state fish, and more. In the intertidal zone, where the sea meets the shore, vibrant sea stars and slimy surf grass flourish. Squid are also a keystone species in the region's food chain because they play a complex role of both predator and prey. These species didn't always exist here, however. During the ice ages, the sea levels lowered, narrowing the distance across the Santa Barbara Channel and revealing some of the ocean floor. Now that new sections of habitat were more easily accessible, species started to creep onto the unfamiliar territory. Mammoths swam across the channel, while mice and foxes floated across on pieces of vegetation. Birds soared across and seeds drifted over the water. Eventually, the excess water from melting glaciers caused the sea level to rise once again and the channel to widen. 
Now, the migrant species that had reached the island were cut off from the mainland. A plethora of these species evolved and adapted to this isolated new environment. Mammoths transformed into the pygmy mammoth, and gray foxes evolved into the house cat-sized island fox that is familiar to the Channel Islands today. These creatures weren't the only ones bewitched by the secluded islands. A 13,000-year-old human leg bone was discovered on Santa Rosa and traced back to the member of an ancient seafaring community. This bone marks the earliest known human contact with North America. Later, various Native American tribes set up settlements across the entire span of the islands from north to south. These tribes included the Chumash and the Tongva. These island peoples cooperated to form a flourishing trading system that snaked the entire length of the coasts and wound inland as well. The Chumash people developed a currency made out of the violet-colored Olivella snail shells, which they implemented for use in their prosperous trading economy. Eventually, missionaries, explorers, and ranchers from Spain were drawn to this region replete with valuable natural assets and a pleasant climate. In 1542, Juan Rodriguez Cabrillo ventured into the Santa Barbara Channel. His team of explorers settled on one of the islands for the winter. Three months after the sailors reached the area, Cabrillo was mortally injured. In the 1800s, fur traders scavenged the island coves for coveted sea otters, seals, and sea lions, their hunting efforts nearly wiping out the entire species. By 1822, the majority of the island natives had been forcefully transferred to missions on the mainland. The first attempts at colonization and religious conversion were systematically carried out by Franciscans who were aided in the initial intimidation of the native people by armed Spanish soldiers. Then, they ushered in non-native domesticated farm animals, which promptly disrupted the precariously balanced ecosystems by glutting themselves with native foliage. The tribes struggled to remain economically independent, especially as they were inundated with European-born illnesses that eroded away at their population. Infant mortality rates surged, and historians estimate that up to 60% of the native population in the region was lost to European-introduced epidemics. Many distraught native families at wit's end implored the Spanish, who appeared to be immune to these pernicious diseases, for help. The missionaries were permitted by the Spanish royalty to convert the natives over a period of 10 years. Then, they were supposed to turn the stolen livestock, property, and land back to their native owners. These possessions, however, were never returned. The natives were forbidden to speak their own language or to practice traditional rituals and ceremonies. The island people attempted to resist the forced conversion, cultural erasure, labor camps, family separation, and physical violence. The natives successfully managed to maintain some of their cultural integrity, however, through small acts of rebellion. Because the natives refused to speak Spanish, the missionaries were forced to select natives from each tribe to direct the work crews. 
the natives persisted in living in their own villages, composed of a conglomeration of different tribes separate from the missionary housing. Lastly, many natives continued to preserve the linguistic history of their tribes, and descendants still provide historians with insight into their language today. Some tribes cooperated to form resistance groups and carried out intensively planned acts of rebellion and guerrilla warfare. The mission system collapsed in the face of the newly established Mexican Republic's disapproval and in response to the native insurgents. Though the natives were officially declared equal citizens and given voting rights, the Republic persisted in treating them like slaves. During the gold rush, 100,000 wealth seekers inflicted terror into the native people now residing on the, na on the mainland. The entire population was nearly obliterated. The native people that first lived on the tranquil Channel Islands suffer indelible scars following the repression of their tribes and the coercion of their people. The stolen land remains permanently altered after indigenous plant and animal species were invaded by European agriculture and stock animals. The brutal European legacy lingered for a long time in the form of feral pigs that infested the islands and played a leading role in the tragic decline of the island fox, which I'll talk about in a minute. Currently, the native Californians are fighting to reignite their cultures and traditions. Legislation was passed to preserve sacred burial grounds and culturally significant sites, and tribal leaders are optimistic about the restoration of natural resources on native lands and are progressing towards economic independence and the complete recuperation of stolen territory. Meanwhile, the Channel Islands are also in rehabilitation, in an effort to reverse the environmental destruction that ensued as a result of military activities like test bombing raids on the landmasses. The islands are also a crucial nesting and feeding site for 99% of the Southern California seabird population. In 1970, however, the California brown pelican population was nearly obliterated on the islands. Scientists attribute this seabird attrition to the chemical DDT, which built up in island food webs and resulted in the fatal weakening of the seabird's eggshells once the chemical was ingested. In 1972, DDT was banned, and after strenuous recovery efforts, the birds were removed from the endangered species list in 2009. Currently, the region boasts the sole major colony of breeding California brown pelicans in the western U.S. However, other species and ecosystems were devastated by various ecological invasions as well, and not all have made such a full recovery. The island's bald eagle population was completely liquidated by the 1950s due to DDT, hunting, and egg collection. This led to a domino effect of disastrous impacts on the ecosystems. Golden eagles, once deterred from the island by the presence of their larger counterparts, were able to invade. Once the bald eagle was wiped out, the golden eagle swooped in and began to prey on the island fox population. While there were hundreds and even thousands of these petite foxes on the islands before the invasion of the golden eagle, the island fox population plummeted to only 15 individuals afterwards. 
Meanwhile, the predatory golden eagles fueled their numbers by feeding on the plentiful population of feral pigs that had been introduced to the islands in the 1800s by the explorers. Fortunately, the three species of island fox are making a swift comeback in recent times, following the elimination of all wild pigs that occurred in 2006 and the relocation of the golden eagle. Another event that battered this fragile sanctuary occurred in 1969. An offshore oil platform leaked 200,000 gallons of crude oil into the sea, desolating the Channel Islands and surrounding mainland beaches. Thousands of marine animals were killed. It was not until 1980 that Congress designated the islands a national park and the surrounding waters a national marine sanctuary. Climate change also threatens to devour these singular islands. The region is situated right at the intersection of warm and cold ocean currents. As I mentioned before, these currents are responsible for the island's mind-boggling ecological diversity. However, large-scale fluctuations in the climate alter the temperature boundaries between the currents, impacting marine habitats and aquatic communities. The reproductive productivity of a unique seabird species that resides on the island, the Cassin's auklet, is also threatened by the shifting climate, changes in oceanographic conditions, and a decreased prey population. Additionally, warmer seawater has also been shown to cultivate the bacterium responsible for withering syndrome, a disease that affects the red abalone mollusk. Though the abalone population on the islands has remained untouched by the disease so far, increasing temperatures threaten to spur future outbreaks of the disease. Climate change also impacts upwelling patterns. Upwelling is an undersea process that dictates the production of zooplankton and other nutrients that bind the region's complex food chain. Ocean acidification and sea level rise also threaten the creatures at the base of the food web and transform the natural ocean chemistry. Lastly, the island's rich anthropologic history threatens to be erased by severe weather events. The Channel Islands National Marine Sanctuary is working with NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, to mitigate the effects of climate change. They plan to increase awareness about the issues that pose the greatest threat to the islands and surrounding ecosystems, which include ocean acidification and the resulting devastation of species populations. The sanctuary is also prepared to support and rehabilitate ecosystems and species that are impacted by the climate, should it be necessary. Lastly, they aim to make their entire operation carbon neutral in order to decrease their own contribution to the plight of the islands. The Channel Islands are a paradise for nature enthusiasts and adventurers alike. Visitors can hike, camp, picnic, surf, birdwatch, fish, snorkel, kayak, and even spot whales, seals, and sea lions offshore. There are plenty of hikes on the five main islands. I visited Santa Cruz, the largest island, where we took a meandering 12-mile hike and spotted a plethora of new bird species and two mischievous island foxes. The hike began at Prisoner's Harbor and wound up and down gleaming, rolling hills that spilled into blinding views of the sunlight-pocked ocean. 
It was a moderately strenuous hike, made slightly more difficult by the dry heat. The hike was secluded and offered an intimate perspective of the island's raw, rugged beauty. I should mention that the trails were not marked well, and the hike turned out to be longer than specified on the map. The Channel Islands are resilient. They have bounced back from countless tribulations, determined to flourish time and time again. Yet climate change and reckless human behavior have rapidly worsening repercussions that the islands will never be able to recover from if we continue in the same direction. This magnificent ecosystem needs our help, but we need it too. The secret to the success of these unassuming islands lies in the diversity of inhabitants, the cooperation and integration of dissimilar natural forces. As warm and cool, rugged and smooth, land and sea coalesce, they form an ecosystem like nowhere else on Earth. A flourishing community of creatures thriving, not in spite of the conflicting forces of nature, but because of them. The region is thrumming with counterparts and contradictions, tensions and dissimilarities that, ironically, blend and unify to form one of the world's most prosperous habitats. This is a paradise, resilient, beautiful, and utterly unique. We need to save these singular islands from ourselves, and while we're at it, we have a lot to learn from this ecosystem made possible by the cooperation of contradictory forces and made strong by its singular diversity. Just like these islands, the climate of our society is growing unbearable. The introduction of feral species threatens to decimate our communities, demolish our, div our diversity, and transform our habitat into a monoculture. Just like these islands, the cooperation of diverging forces is what makes our society tick, and diversity is what makes us powerful. Whether we choose to make tremendous waves and forcefully change the currents with the thrust of a tail like the formidable blue whale, or we choose to find strength in numbers and swirl up from the deep to fuel the entire ecosystem like the communities of tiny plankton, we can all chip in to foster the diversity that will sustain us for generations to come and to repair our social, political, and natural climate before it's too late. Thanks for listening to Park Wake Up Call.